testify concerning that light, so that through Him all men might believe. He Himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Familiarity breeds contempt, they say. In other words, sometimes we experience good things, but because we get so used to them, we really don't fully appreciate it. Take our vehicles, for example. That's a good example. Modern cars and trucks and SUVs are wonders of modern engineering. You just turn the key. In fact, now you don't even turn a key in some cars. You just push a button and they magically come to life and they take you safely, quickly, comfortably, wherever you want to go. It's amazing. But we get so used to them, you don't even think much of it anymore. We just jump in and go. Same thing is true of refrigerators. I'm keenly aware of that this weekend. Our refrigerator went out. Wonder of modern engineering, how it can keep all of your food cold and just the right temperature, freezer, fridge, all in one beautiful thing when it works. But, you know, you take it for granted until all of a sudden it doesn't. Or hot showers. Ever since I spent a summer in Nigeria, I have a new appreciation for a hot shower. I didn't get one most days when I was over there. And so the fact that you can just turn on a spigot and there's hot water heaters and pipes and it comes just right out hot, that's amazing. But do you ever think about how wonderful that is? Probably not. It's just the way life is for us. And sometimes I wonder if that same thing isn't true about Christmas. Oh, it's the old story, the Christmas story. We hear it every year. But do we really fully appreciate the beauty, the wonder, the glory of what happened? The incarnation of Jesus is one of the most extraordinary events that has ever happened in human history. The whole calendar, in fact, hinges on when Jesus was born. Jesus taking on human flesh is one of the hallmarks of our faith. It truly is one of our basic beliefs. It sets us apart from other faiths and other religions. And that's the truth that we get to study together tonight. And we're going to use John's explanation from John chapter 1. The first thing that John makes clear is that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. A common misconception about those who may not be real familiar with Jesus or Christianity is that Jesus was just a good teacher. 
He was born. Sure, he was laid in a manger as a baby, perhaps. He was a famous Jewish rabbi. He died an early tragic death. And some people still follow his teachings today. That's what people think about Jesus. That is not the way the Bible describes Jesus at all. He was not just an ordinary human being. He was and continues to be the eternal Son of God. That's incredible. He was God's Son, in other words, before He was born. Our text says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So John parallels the book of Genesis in the beginning. In the beginning, God, Genesis begins. And so John begins his telling of Jesus' story. In the beginning was the Word. God, the Word, the same thing. God, the eternal Son. He's the one who always was, always is, and always will be. In fact, Jesus said about himself in John 8, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. That's quite a claim. In fact, Jesus might be the only sane person in human history ever to make that claim other than the insane people who think they're Jesus. He was there from the very beginning. And this was true, and Christians have believed this since the earliest days of our faith. It was nailed down in the Nicene Creed already in 325 A.D. So let's read from that creed. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence as the Father, through Him all things were made. So Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, one with God the Father, one with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't created like we have been created. He has always been. And He has not only always been, but He's always been the Son. That's a hard thing for us to understand since most children come to be at some point, but not Jesus. He's the eternally begotten Son of God. And through Him, God created the world. He's God. And at just the right time in human history, Jesus became human. That's what the word incarnation means, to put on flesh. The Apostles' Creed says Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The Catechism says the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to Himself through the working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary a truly human nature so that He might become David's true descendant like His brothers in every way except for sin. Now, some of this can seem like a lot of theological jargon, maybe, to some of you. So let me just explain what happened. Just imagine that it is the Christmas season, and all the malls are jam-packed with people shopping for Christmas, and you are put in a diaper and pajamas and set in the middle of the mall. 
for everyone to see. That's essentially what Jesus did at Christmas. He left the glorious heaven that He was in, the worship of all the angels, all the splendor, all the glory, and He came down and He became a human baby who had to be cared for, who had to have his diapers changed by earthly human beings. It's hard to imagine just how far that is. That's the incarnation. It's a humiliation for him. It must have been a moment that caused the angels to gasp. That is God's Son? He did what? That's amazing. And the question is, why? Why would he do such a thing? About a year ago, you might remember Elon Musk bought Twitter for $44 million. And evidently, he didn't think that canceling people and not allowing free speech, he thought that those were important things. So he put his money behind it and he bought the company. And since he's been very hands-on, he could have just put someone in charge early on and said, okay, now I've I've done that, on to the next thing. But he's been very hands-on. He got rid of some of the people he thought were a problem. He introduced new features. He's renamed it X. And he continues to make headlines when he comments very regularly on news stories. Elon Musk decided he wasn't just going to fix Twitter from a distance. He was going to get his hands dirty. He was going to get personal, personally involved. And that's what God has done. He didn't just choose to fix the sin problem of humankind from a distance, up from heaven somewhere. He got his hands dirty. He came right down here with us and he became one of us. Because human blood is required to pay the price for human sin. And so he took on human flesh and he made the perfect sacrifice for us. That's why he did it. Another reason he did it, I suspect, is because God values the physical. He went further than just taking on human flesh. If you think of it, what he could have done, it could have been done inside of a day or two. Zip down to earth, take on a human body, become one of those people down there, quickly pay the price for sin and zip back up to heaven to safety where it was nice again. That isn't what he did. Our text says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So saving the world was not a hit and run operation. It took time. Jesus came and hung out with us. He spent 33 years on this planet as a human being. Only three of them are reported in the Bible that were active ministry. So what in the world was Jesus doing for the 30 years between His birth and the temple story, the last account we have, and then His beginning of His ministry? Well, He did the same thing that you're doing. He ate food. He worked at a job. He went to synagogue with His family. He learned at school. He spent time with his family and friends and he enjoyed the things normal people do. It was so unremarkable, so ordinary, 
that no one ever has told about it or written about it. Maybe there wouldn't be much to tell. It's just like your life and mine, only without sin. By doing that, God showed He doesn't just save souls. God saves the whole people because He's interested in the whole physical part of who we are as well. He's not going to leave our universe behind. He's going to redeem it. The physical universe as well as all of our physical bodies. So when Jesus rose from the grave, His body went with Him. When Jesus ascended into heaven, His body went with Him because the body is valuable. It's not expendable. Not something we just hope to get rid of someday. And then we can take our true shape as just spiritual people. No, we're always going to be embodied, at least after the resurrection of our bodies someday. It's a precious, valuable, worth redeeming thing, our bodies. So God values the physical. In fact, at this very moment, Jesus has a physical body up in heaven. His spirit is everywhere. His spirit is right with us here tonight. But his body sits at the right hand of God, we're told. And when we get to heaven someday, we'll be able to talk to him. We'll be able to touch him. He will have a body much like our own. It's a new, better body, the new, improved version we're all going to get one day. But he'll have a body, and we will too. So through this incarnation, God shows us He values the physical and that He is deeply personal. God is deeply personal. We see this already back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, we're told that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Why? Maybe He just wanted to be with these Creatures that he made who were like him. He enjoyed being with them, perhaps. And then we read in the wilderness, the 40 years in the wilderness with the Israelites, God commanded them to put the tabernacle where? When they camped, where was the tabernacle among the tribes? Right in the middle. Three tribes here, three here, three here, three here. Tabernacle in the middle. He didn't say, no, I want to I put my tent up on the hill over there because I'm a little bit holier and better than the rest of you. No, he, he was always right in the middle of his people because that's where he wanted to be. He's always wanted to be with us, in the middle of us. And so in Bethlehem, God came in human flesh to live among us. The words He made His dwelling among us could also be translated He tabernacled among us. God is not a distant God. Some faraway person in a faraway place. He's always wanted to be close. It's human beings who don't want to be near God. We run the other direction. We do our own thing. God is the one who comes chasing after us. That's the story. He wants to be one of us because He loves us. Maybe you have the blessing of having your children and grandchildren living nearby. Not everyone has that blessing. 
for some, their kids and grandkids have moved a long ways away. And so the only way to stay in touch is to call them on the phone or video chat with them on a phone or a device. Or once in a while, somebody jumps in an airplane or takes a long car ride so that they can have a short visit with the people they love. And people who have that sort of long distance situation, they really don't take it for granted when they're with people they love. Because that's really special. To be able to be with people, eat together, spend time together, have conversations together, live life together, that's a real gift. That's what God wants to do with us. He finally came down here in person and lived among us and hung out with us and He eventually died and rose from the grave and now He's in heaven waiting to come back to get us so that we can be with Him again. So God is deeply personal. He wants to be near us. And then finally, the incarnation reveals the glory of God. I don't know about you, but when I think of God's glory, I think of it as this, this light, this splendor, this majesty, this luminous glory and majesty. I think of it like we mentioned in reference this morning of this, this holy lit up cloud that comes and descended on the temple. And it's this glorious godly presence that people have to back up from because it's just too intense for humans to fully experience or appreciate. That's what I think of. I think of that bright light that blinded the Apostle Paul as he was on his way to Damascus and all of a sudden he sees Jesus face to face and he gets knocked off his donkey on the ground and he's blinded by it. It's so bright. I think of the glorious colors of the rainbow described in Revelation 4 that surround the throne of God. That's the glory of God. But the glory of Jesus, as described in Scripture, is a lot more and different than that. Look at verse 14. Let's read it together. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does John mean when he says, we have seen His glory? When did they see His glory? Well, if it's this light and luminous, majestic presence, maybe the Mount of Transfiguration, but is John saying we only got to see it once and it was momentary? Or is he talking about more? Well, he himself tells us elsewhere in his Gospel, in John 2, verse 1, after Jesus changed the water into wine, it says, this the first of His miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed His glory and His disciples put their faith in Him. So evidently, Jesus revealed His glory by doing miracles. But if you think of it, most of the miracles were miraculous, divine ways of helping ordinary people. It was healing someone who's sick. It was giving sight to someone who couldn't see. It was helping someone hear who was deaf. 
It was releasing from demonic oppression someone who had been oppressed like that. And in doing that, it says the disciples saw His glory. But then there's an interesting passage at the end of John's Gospel during His high priestly prayer in John 17. Just before He's arrested and killed, this is the words that Jesus spoke. Father, the time has come. Glorify Your Son, that Your Son may glorify You. What did Jesus mean by that? Glorify Your Son. How did Jesus want to be glorified exactly? And most scholars who study this say He's talking about His death on the cross. That reveals the glory. It reveals this humility, this willingness to sacrifice and suffer for the sake of another, to pay the price for sin. There is a glory in that kind of love, that kind of willingness to do for others what they can't do for themselves. And Jesus embodies that glory. He's the eternal Son of God, yet He became a person just like us in order to live life with us and to die the death that we deserved. And the Bible says that we share in His glory when we do similar things. So these are Paul's words. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of Himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of Himself that He had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. Became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't even claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that He is the Master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. That is the glory of Christmas. Right there, Paul captures it. That's why the incarnation of Jesus is one of our basic beliefs. Since the eternal Son of God lives in you and in me, When we do similar things, it's hard to compare to Jesus, of course, but when we sacrifice of ourselves, when we love like that, when we humble ourselves so that someone else is benefited, there's just a small glimpse of God's glory in you and me. And there, people just might see in us the glory of God. Of Christmas. Let's pray.
This truly is a remarkable story. Thank you, Lord, for recording it for us and for John thinking about what this was like. We thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for being a God who wants to be near us. And forgive us for running away or ignoring you or thinking that our lives are just as good without you close by. Thank You for pursuing us and thank You most of all for paying the price for our sin, even death on a cross. And thank You, Lord, that we have life with You, that we've been united with You in such a way that Your death was our death to sin and Your resurrection is our resurrection to new life and we are with You and You are with us. Thank You for Your presence in our lives. And Lord, help all of us to reveal Your glory in some small way by having that same attitude that You did. Humbling ourselves, loving, sacrificing, serving, giving. Thank You for those opportunities that You will give us to do those sorts of things this week. Help us all to love Jesus so much that we begin to embody Him in our daily lives. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.